Pacific Conversations from the Development Policy Centre with Tess Newton-Kane. Okay, my name is Tess Newton-Kane. I'm a research associate with the Development Policy Centre and this morning I'm very pleased and honoured to be able to speak with Premier Toki Talangi from Niue. Um, good morning, Premier Talangi, and welcome to Pacific Conversations. Good morning, Tess. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And I have to say, this is the first Pacific Conversations that we've had to take the international dateline into account. So it, I feel like I'm engaging in time travel because I know it's Wednesday where you are and it's Thursday where I am. Yes, a lot of people find that strange. Uh, when they fly to anywhere <laughs> from New Zealand, for example, they leave on a Saturday and, and then Friday again. Yes, so... Yes. Uh, <laughs> It can be a bit disorienting. You've just got to go through these things. That's right. Okay, so to begin with, for those of us who, and I include myself in this, who maybe don't know very much about your country, I would like to invite you to give us an introduction to Niue and its people. Well, we call ourselves the, the island, the rock of Polynesia. We're obviously Polynesian. Uh, we sit right between the Cook Islands, Samoa, Tonga, and and so on. Uh, we're relatively large, actually, for an island state. There's 100 square uh, miles, um, and a lot of people don't appreciate the fact that we're bigger than the Cook Islands, for example, total land mass com uh, combined. Um, our main our, uh, political uh, structure is that we have a constitutional uh, arrangement with New Zealand, and we have self-governing status and free association with New Zealand. They support us and provide assistance to us. Um, but our main industry at the present moment is tourism. We've built up tourism over the past six years. We have arrangements with Air New Zealand for uh, two flights a week uh, now, especially during the peak season. So um, the tourism industry, in fact, is growing pretty rapidly. And I'm really pleased about that because in, in, in the end, that means that we should be able to become self-sustaining in the long term. That's what we're banking our um, targeted uh, vision, if you wish, at the present time. Is that, sufficient? Is that sufficient for your purposes? Or would you like to know something else? <laughs> that, so that leads me into my second question, which you've, you've already referred to, which is about what what you see as we currently stand in 2014, what do you see as the key opportunities and challenges for economic and social development in your country? You've already made reference to tourism. Perhaps you'd like to expand on that, or there might be other issues that you want to discuss in that context. I think we've always had uh, the, the key elements of, of uh, the problems we've had here related to the fact that a lot of new ones have gone to New Zealand. We are New Zealand citizens. Uh, a lot of them have come to Australia. Obviously, the opportunities are there for them uh, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and up until recently, where we've managed to stabilize the population. Um, and one of the key elements of what, uh, and the reasons why tourism is so important to us is because it provides the opportunities for people particularly New Way and hopefully, to consider returning to New Way and seeking the opportunities that are available for them here. Um, that has been a major challenge for us, but instead of um, worrying about it in the sense that uh, we continue to talk about it, we said, well, 
our objective is to uh, use tourism as a means for building the private sector, building the, the businesses, uh, increasing shipping and air services so that people have a confidence that uh, when they come back here they've got a, not a good opportunity to earn money. There's a lot more people now starting businesses here. I think two years ago, three years ago, there was about 100. Uh, the number of registered businesses has gone up to about 250 and probably over at the present moment. So clearly, economic activity, particularly in relation to the tourism sector, is is growing. Okay, and uh, and obviously around the tourism, there are you see that there are opportunities for support services, local producers to supply into the tourism market. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're not we're not focusing our attention on any exports at the present moment. In any case, we're too small. Our ability to export is, is limited for that perspective. So, in essence, what I say to people here is that we'll import the consumers they'll come here and, and we'll produce for them. Uh, those are some of the collateral businesses that will arise as a consequence of what we've done. For example, the two hydroponic uh, companies have set up here. Uh, they're doing extremely well. They're providing local fresh lettuces and so on uh, for the domestic market as well as for the uh, tourism market as well. Um, there are huge opportunities in the um, in the agricultural sector and horticultural sector, uh, which we haven't really uh, used of as as I'd like to. But beyond that, there are obviously the services that um, that we will require as tours the fishing, the diving, uh, because those are major attractions for people when they come here. Apart from the fact that uh, we're very quiet, we're also, we're 1,500 people base population, and about uh, 8,000 tourists coming through here, total commercial population, you're looking at 10,000. Um, and it's, it's a great uh, place for people to come and visit, have a quiet holiday. Mm. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Um, I wanted to move on to something that, that operates more in the regional space. So you recently expressed what appeared to me to be a degree of frustration with the Small Island States Unit of the Pacific Islands Forum Secretariat. So what I wanted to ask you is, do you see any role that Pacific regionalism can contribute to the development of New Air? And if so, what is it that New Air needs and wants from Pacific regionalism more generally? I, th I think the, the question really is, what is the Small Island States doing as part of the forum um, um, institution, if you wish, to help the Small Island States? We, we have set up the, the Small Island States specifically because we said that they deserve... Um, more specific and targeted uh, support uh, from donors and other countries who wish to contribute towards climate change, for example. But over the past six years that I've been Premier, and, and this is my third term, there appears to be no real pragmatic support provided for the small island states per se. There's a lot of talk, there's a lot of uh, effort being put in, uh, but nothing of any material size that I can point to and say, yes, that's, that's, that's good for us because it's, it's helping the small island states. 
it's as far as regional mm-hmm. is concerned, that's a slightly different uh, uh, perspective. The Pacific Island Forum, for example, and regionalism is an excellent concept. But I think one of the things that we've got to be careful about is the fact that we focus our attention so much on the concept rather than the practical applications of what that actually means to the Pacific Island uh, countries and to the people that we serve. At the present moment, it appears to me that regionalism is a concept that many people talk about, but I'm not certain whether there is any practical implementation thinking uh, in relation to uh, what these, this regionalism can do, not just for the small island states like Newark, but also some of the bigger island states that uh, are part of the forum. Okay, so it's um, yeah, it's a, a an aspiration yet to be realised in concrete terms. That's right. I don't. Yeah. I, my belief at the present moment is that we spend too much time talking about many of these things but we haven't come up with any particular solutions that would help the small island states or some of the bigger island states. There's a lot of funding in the Fismama that's going into regional organizations, and most of the funding is going towards consultancies. No, that's not helping us at all. Uh, I know a lot Mm -hmm. of people tend to think that we need consultants to tell them what we need. We know what we need. They need to listen to us more rather than, than hope that a a consultant who spends a couple of days here will know everything about Newark. They can't, obviously. Yeah. So therefore, they need to review their thinking and determine that, in fact, we will tell them what we need and they will either agree or not. And that's fair enough. That's their decision. Uh-huh. So you'd like to see it operating more as a... I'm talking about... I'm not talking about the, uh, the regional organizations per se, but... Yeah. I must say that I get frustrated with them as well. <laughs> okay, well, I think I'm going to introduce what's maybe another source of frustration. Was recently um, you responded to announcements of new partnerships to assist with combating the effects of climate change in quite a, um, a particular and somewhat critical way, and you made reference to the need to get more out of existing partnerships rather than get sidetracked, if you like, into developing new partnerships. So can you give us some detail as to what getting more out of existing partnerships would look like in your in your view? I think at the present moment we're very happy with the partners we have. We have very strong partnership arrangements in New Zealand, the EU, um, China, Japan in, in many respects, Australia and so on. Um, but when you attend these international, even sub-regional meetings in our nations, all we do is ever listen and talk about pledges and what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And 10 years down the track, and unfortunately, I was in Mauritius 10 years ago, and I, I thought, this is, this is getting, getting ridiculous. We haven't moved at all. All we've done is mm-hmm. we've agreed to the pledges, We've agreed that we must uh, reduce CO2 uh, levels, and we haven't achieved any one of those things, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm brutally frank about some of these things because I, I think that somebody must stand up and say, ain't working, I'm sorry. It's not working for us. If it's working for you, then how can it be working for you when it's not helping us? Yeah. 
And I guess, you know, one of the concerns I have, uh, you know, obviously I see it sort of similar conversations here in Vanuatu, but more so in countries like Niue is that, you know, as you said, you have a small population, you have a small number of resources, and your official's time and energy is being caught up in these discussions and meetings and conferences and consultations. And, you know, maybe at what point do we say, actually, we're better off spending our time over here doing this because this is actually going to have some impact? Yeah, I think I think we, you'll find that I've made a pledge to withdraw from the uh, small island states. I think that's where we're going to carry that through. Um, uh-huh. The interesting thing is that we're not certain as to how, what framework, what legal framework was the SIS established in the first place. So we're not sure how anybody can withdraw or otherwise. Um, the sick thing is, is uh, in relation to, uh, you know, what what countries can can do for the Pacific Island countries at this moment. There are too many meetings, to be honest. There are just too many mm-hmm. meetings. And although we're small, um, we can send people to these meetings. But if, if I were to attend every meeting that I was invited to, I'd spend no time at home at all. It's a waste of time. So we've been very selective in the environment of meetings that we attend. Yeah. It's not, it's not okay, well, to do with the population per se. It's to do with how effective we're seeing these meetings are going to be helpful to the way. If they're not, then I don't see yeah. the point in continuing to go to them. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I think, you know, that response makes a lot of sense to me, and, and I'm sure it will resonate with other small island states in the region. Um, uh, my last question is, lots of people, I'm sure, ask, and I know you know this, lots of people ask Pacific Island leaders what it is that their countries need. I'd like to finish by asking you, what is it, what's the one thing or the two main things that you feel the country of Niue has to offer to the region and the wider world? That's a hard question to answer. It's uh, because you know, a short conversation of this kind, uh, I'll not be able to answer all of that. What does anybody have to offer? What does a small unit have to offer? What does a family have to offer? A country. Um, we can offer whatever the, the world requires of us in terms of showing the world the way that we live at the first moment, which is based on our, always been based on our sustainability in terms of our uh, conservation measures and so on. Um, but as well as that, we're a microcosm of what actually happens in the much larger countries. And therefore, people should look at what we're trying to do at the present moment, listen to us a bit more, not just us here in Europe, but also some of the other on Pacific Islands, and see whether they can assist us or not. Um, what we can offer the world, therefore, is an example of a country that is trying its best at the present moment to become self-sustaining, and I'm determined to become self-sustaining so that other people can see what we're doing and hopefully learn from that. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much for sparing some time this morning to chat and uh, sharing us. I I certainly feel that I have um, a much better understanding of New Air and what you're doing there, and hopefully our listeners will too. So thank you once again for joining us on Pacific Conversations. Thank you. Goodbye, Okay. Thank you very much, Pamela. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. 
For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au.